0: episode 16 college football betting i am your host aaron torres hope everybody is doing well hope everybody is having a great week hope everybody is ready for a loaded saturday in college football that is right I talk about it every show. This is, of course, the second episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres this week. Tuesday, we do the first reaction to the opening lines. Actually, that's usually on Monday. This week, it was on Tuesday because I had a power outage here in California. Monday, we react to opening lines. Thursday, we dive deep into the biggest games on the college football slate. And let me just say, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of big games Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Georgia, Florida, Ole Miss, Auburn, on and on and on and on and on. On top of that, we have quite a few very interesting other games outside of that. Iowa, Wisconsin, interesting point spread. Florida State, Clemson, interesting point spread. Kentucky, Mississippi State, very interesting point spread there. So a really fun week in college football, and I cannot wait to break down this week Nine slate. But before I do, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings. Football season is rolling, and DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for listeners of college football betting with Aaron Torres. New users can bet $5 on any pro football game, and if their team wins, they automatically win $200 in free cash, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings, all just because you decided to listen to college football betting with Aaron Torres. So pick any game, any game you want, just as an example. Thursday night, we got a big one. Green Bay at Arizona. You like Green Bay? Aaron Rodgers, he still owns you. Go ahead, DraftKings. Click the link in the show description here. Bet $5. If Green Bay wins, you automatically get $200 in free cash courtesy of DraftKings. Here's what you do. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook. Make your first deposit. Bet $5. Make one money line bet $5 for any team, and if your team wins, you automatically get $200 thanks to our friends at DraftKings. It's the best offer going in sports betting, so act now. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only, minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager for this particular, uh, $5... Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $5 wager on this particular giveaway. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for poll terms and conditions. All right, let's get into this week nine slate. And, and it's interesting because I was thinking about it this week, really, as I was doing my picks, which are available at com. It's interesting because this is kind of, I think we're starting to hit the stretch in the season where it's really tough to pick these games for one simple reason. From our perspective as handicappers and fans and bettors, there really isn't all that much new that you can learn about these teams, right? Like like in preparing for Ohio State, Penn State, there's no kind of nugget that you're going to find on Ohio State or on Penn State that you say, oh, wow. Well, that makes me feel this way. I felt this way about the game, but now I feel that way. You can maybe find that interesting nugget in week five, week six. Teams' schedules were imbalanced. You didn't have a great feel for that team. We're now in week nine. You can't really do that. And I think it makes it harder also from our perspective because at the same time that we kind of know everything there is to know about these teams – Vegas also knows everything about these teams and it feels like a lot of these point spreads a lot of these lines are frankly kind of exactly where they should be when you start to look at them and they feel like they're about what they should be in terms of the number the over under etc and so with that said let's get into the week nine slate Uh, Penn State at Ohio State will start there and that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. If you kind of just think about these two teams, the way that Ohio State's playing, they feel like they're about a two-touchdown favorite right now against Penn State, especially after last week when Penn State takes the nine overtime loss to Illinois. And that's exactly what they were. They opened at 16.5. It is now 18.5. The over-under is 59.5. And I'll be honest, I think from both sides, it feels about right. Let's start with Ohio State because they are, without a doubt, I believe there's zero doubt that they are the most improving team on a week-to-week basis in college football. We see this sometimes throughout the history of the sport. Ironically, the best example might be the 2014 Buckeyes in the first year of the college football playoff, but in 2014, they lose in week two to Virginia Tech they fall off the radar, and then quietly every single week they get better until all of a sudden you look up, they're destroying Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, and you say, that is one of the four best teams in college football right there. Well, with history on our side, with a little knowledge on our side, I think a lot of us watched that Indiana-Ohio State game last week and said, that right there. That is maybe the second best team in college football, and I know that's where I stand on this Ohio State team going into this game against Penn State. And so again, I think the 18 and a half feels about right because this is a team that is rapidly improving week in, week out, all of that good stuff, heading into obviously the home stretch of the season when it comes to the, 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 the big games that they still have left with Penn State, Michigan State, and at Michigan. In terms of why they are better, I talked about it a little bit on Tuesday's show, but I do think it's worth revisiting. Everything is kind of coming together. And I do think we have to remember with some of these teams, and I talked about it a lot on the Aaron Torres podcast a few weeks ago, is that for the the reason that it felt like there were no great teams early, it's pretty simple. It's because a school like Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, they lost a ton off of last year's teams. They lost their seniors. They lost guys early to the NFL draft. And I do believe there were a lot of programs. Take, say, Pitt, for example, with Kenny Pickett. They have a lot of players with extra eligibility. Arkansas is another example of that. They have 11, 12 super seniors on their roster, where you have the teams kind of in the middle of the pack returning a lot of guys because of that COVID year that would have had to move on. Younger teams weren't quite there yet, but they are obviously talented coming along. And I think there's no better example of that than Ohio State first of all CJ Stroud I told you on Tuesday's show we had him on my Fox Sports radio show this weekend CJ Stroud was injured early in the year takes the Akron game off last three games 14 touchdowns zero interceptions Travion Henderson has really emerged as kind of the bell cow feature back and then this defense is just playing lights out since they kind of shook up the coaching staff mid-season and it's kind of incredible how good that they have looked over the last couple weeks Gave up 35 in that game to Oregon, 37 in their first three games of this new look Big Ten slate with Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. Technically, it's not their first three Big Ten games because they obviously opened the season with Minnesota, but they are playing at an elite level and they're playing a a Penn State defense or a Penn State offense that just isn't very dynamic right now. And so let's get into this Penn State perspective because, first of all, I'll tell you this. I know you can say that it's not a number or it's not a fact or it's not a gambling trend. I do think it's been a very weird week, though, with James Franklin and a lot of the speculation on the, uh, you know, USC and LSU head coaching jobs. First, we have the report that he hired a new agent in the middle of the season. Jimmy Sexton, the power broker, basically the Scott Boris of of college football you don't hire Jimmy Sexton in the middle of the season unless you plan on needing a new contract in the next few months and so you have that you have James Franklin addressing the media again after practice on Wednesday where he essentially said it's complicated you guys wouldn't understand Does that sound like a... Did Mike Tomlin say it was complicated when he was asked about uh, LSU and USC? No, he didn't. He said, I'm not going anywhere. No means no. What did he say? What was the exact quote? Never say never, but never. James Franklin, he could have said that and he didn't. So you wonder if that starts to take a toll on this team. And then you just wonder if the totality of the season where they have obviously played a tougher schedule is going to start to take a totality on them. They play Wisconsin early. They play Auburn in the out-of-conference. They play... Obviously, Iowa early this week, earlier this year, those are three tougher games, I would argue, than anybody that Ohio State has played outside of Oregon. I would also say if you're looking, if that number of 18 and a half feels a little bit high to you, I think you can argue that would probably be an advantage at Penn State, right? You can argue a lot of things. The one thing you cannot deny is that Penn State is not the more battle-tested team coming into this game. And to their credit, like when Sean Clifford has been healthy, this team has moved the ball. And I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't follow college football week in and week out. You see that nine overtime Penn State game against Illinois the other day, and you say, well, you know, the the Penn State stinks. And like, I can't really argue, you can't lose to Illinois, but at the same time, what I would also say, when Sean Clifford has been healthy in this game, and all the reports coming out of practice are that he is close to 100% coming off that injury against Iowa, when Sean Clifford has been healthy, Penn State has actually played pretty well over these last couple months, frankly, there's a reason that they were in the top five and in position to get a playoff berth. They put up 28 points, almost 400 total yards of offense against Auburn. We'll get to Auburn in a minute, but Auburn's a good football team. They had seven. It's also worth noting that Iowa game that they lost 20 to 17. They had 17 points midway through the for the second quarter when Sean Clifford got injured. They were cruising to victory in that game before Sean Clifford goes down. And so, if you feel like the number is too high from Ohio State's perspective, and you know I don't give out picks on this show, I just try to get you good information. I do think that is worth noting as well. The fact that they have had good uh, success moving the football, which was Sean Clifford in the starting lineup, What I would fi- and starting lineup and fully healthy. What I would finally say, I love Ohio State. I said this week I think they're the second best team in college football, but the one thing that we need to discuss, this will be by far, by far, the best defense that Ohio State has faced in months, okay? So they played Minnesota week one which was essentially week zero it was still in August it was the Thursday uh, heading into Labor Day weekend I think it was in August doesn't really matter it was the Thursday heading into Labor Day weekend okay and so Minnesota is now the 18th ranked defense in college football okay so that was the best defense that Ohio State has played so far since then here are the defenses that Ohio State has faced Oregon which is currently ranked 84th nationally Tulsa 93rd nationally, Akron 114th nationally, Rutgers 58th nationally, Maryland 82nd nationally, Indiana 55th nationally. Penn State, by the way, top 20 defense, considering all of the teams that they have played, actually still a very good defense. They uh, uh, they, they are the 26th overall defense, uh, I forgive me, but the bottom line is Ohio State has not played a top 50 defense since week one of against Minnesota, Penn State has faced some of the best defenses in college football in Wisconsin and Iowa. So this should be a fun game. It should be a compelling game. And I'll tell you this, like I said, I believe Ohio State is probably the second best team in college football, but they have not faced a defense nearly as good as Penn State's. And it's also worth noting, historically, Penn State has given Ohio State much more trouble than everybody else in the Big Ten. There's nobody really, frankly, that comes close to the success that, uh, that Penn State has had playing Ohio State now it's also worth noting the last couple of years it hasn't been good I mentioned this on Monday's show but 2016 Penn State takes down Ohio State 2017 2018 they are one point games Penn State loses both 2019 it turns into a nine point game last year during the COVID year when there were no fans in the stands in Happy Valley it was a 13 point game so it, the, the margin is expanding on a year-by-year year basis but historically nobody has played Ohio State tougher than Penn state. Let's move to the second big game of the week. Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan minus four and a half over under 50 and a half. And first of all, let's just say this. This was the week of the glowing profile coming out of the state of Michigan. I have read so many profiles on Jim Harbaugh and Mel Tucker this week. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like I, I could show up to Mel Tucker's dinner table. I know more about the guy than his wife does. Okay, uh, Mel Tucker, M- Michigan State. They are the transfer portal gurus. You, you read a million articles about how they flipped this program because of the transfer portal. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh has never had more fun. He's young, he's slim, he's got a young coaching staff, he's lost all this weight, he's got a bunch of players that love playing football, and boy, oh boy, Jim Harbaugh has never been happy, happier. With that said, what I would say about those two profiles, about all those profiles that I read, it did lead me to some interesting thoughts, more so maybe even on Michigan State. And when I, w- when I was reading the Michigan State profile, and again, Michigan is a four and a half point favorite, the over under at 50 and a half, What was very interesting to me was a couple things. First of all, the transfer portal stuff, it's a great story, right? It's a great narrative. You can wrap your head around it. It's this new idea. You have coaches like Dabo that are refusing to embrace the transfer portal. Then you got young Mel Tucker, young hip Mel Tucker saying, kids want to transfer, come to Michigan State. Really cool. But what it also struck me was they didn't have very much talent in the program. And one thing specifically that struck me was the fact that there was a line in one of the articles that I read that, Michigan State in spring practice had to fill out their depth chart at cornerback with three walk-ons and a safety that was moving from safety to cornerback. Why do I bring it up? There is one weakness for Michigan State 121st ranked pass defense we'll get back to that in a minute but it just shows that fine line that Michigan State is towing right now where they're good the depth isn't there and whether it's this week whether it's Penn State whether it's Ohio State I do think it's ultimately all going to catch up with them because they just don't have the number of bodies that Ohio State does, that Michigan does, even that Penn State does, coaches that have been established, programs that have been established over a four, five, six-year period. The other thing about Michigan State, I keep going back to this, and this is not a discredit to Mel Tucker, and look, I don't give out picks. Maybe come Monday I look really stupid for saying this. So much of Michigan State's reputation has come from beating two teams that we ultimately now realize are really, really, really bad, right? Like, you go back to that first Friday night of the college football season. They're playing Northwestern. Northwestern, of course, last year, if you remember, they were the Big Ten West champs, played Ohio State tough in the Big Ten championship game. And so you think, Northwestern, they're good. Pat Fitzgerald. Well, Michigan State destroys them. 38-21 is the final score. Northwestern now is 3-4, and 1-3 and three in the Big Ten. So let's uh, pump the brakes on the Northwestern stuff. And then two weeks later, they play Miami when Miami was still ranked and they beat them 38-17. to 17. One, we now know Miami is terrible. Two, let's also not forget that outside of that, it was actually a pretty close competitive game. It was a game that was 17-14 Michigan State ahead going into the fourth quarter and they pulled away late. And so I'm not discrediting those wins, but what I am saying is let's look at the resume since then. Beat two bad teams, Western Kentucky Rutgers, struggle at Indiana, win 20 to 15, need overtime to beat Nebraska, who I do think is an improved team, by the way. But I just bring this up to say that the bottom line is, I don't know if the depth is there for them to withstand what is going to come the next three, four, five weeks as the schedule gets tougher, and like I said, they do have probably of all of each of these teams of of Michigan and Michigan State, they do probably have the biggest deficiency, the biggest problem, which is their pass defense, which ranks 121st nationally. Now, what I would also say, I don't know that Michigan is the team specifically that is going to expose that weakness in the secondary, from Michigan State and the reason being because if if these two teams have a weakness um, you know, it's Michigan State's secondary against Michigan State's pass offense or Michigan's pass offense. Michigan doesn't even try to throw the football. They rank 104th nationally in passing uh, uh, passing yards per game. But then in terms of actual attempts, and I've, I've dropped this stat before, they rank way down towards the bottom of college football, 117th nationally in pass attempts. And those numbers are actually way up. And so the good thing if you're backing Michigan State as a home dog is that uh, you know, the, the their weakness probably will not be exposed by Michigan. But what I would say is Michigan's pretty darn good across the board. Uh, top 20 defense across the board. The run game is really good. And as for that pass game, they have been willing to open it up more over the last couple weeks. Cade McNamara, 27 pass attempts last week against Northwestern, 38 pass attempts on the road, 28 pass attempts against Wisconsin. So that is something to keep an eye on. The other thing I'll say. If you watch that Northwestern game, Michigan has a five-star quarterback named J.J. McCarthy who they seem to be trying to get reps. I don't know, is it for one of three reasons? Could they actually use him? Do they want to use him? Are they just trying to get him reps? Are they afraid that he is going to transfer? And if, if you don't get him any reps at all, he'll bounce? Or is it the possibility that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they have some special stuff in store for the back half of the season for him? That is absolutely worth considering as we look at the Michigan-Michigan State game. But again, 4.5 points, 50.5 is the over-under. The key, I believe, in this game, if Michigan can pass the ball – they're pretty sound everywhere else, and they could give Michigan State trouble. If Michigan State can stop the pass or Michigan doesn't even attempt it, expect a phone booth game. Again, I mentioned this on Monday's show, by the way, Tuesday show, I guess it was technically. The over-under has never gone above 55 in any game during the Harbaugh era. Last big game, we'll take a little break, talk about some of the other ones. Oh, it's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That's right. I feel like John Hamm saying that. Mad men. But this is another game. You know, the over-under is 51. Georgia is a 14-point favorite. This is one that feels right on the nose. It feels like Vegas knows exactly what they're doing. And I will readily admit, while I would love to give out picks on this show, one, I don't do it, but two, this is one where I don't know how you can even possibly, 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 possibly speculate on how to even handicap this game, because we don't know anything about the quarterback situation for either team. Starting with Georgia, like we all have Stetson Bennett fever right now. I get it, he's been awesome. Stetson Bennett was benched in this game last year because when Georgia was playing these elite offenses, last year it was Mac Jones in Alabama, Kyle Trask in Florida, Stetson Bennett couldn't keep up, and this offense couldn't keep up, and they needed more dynamicism. I don't know how to say the word, but you know what I'm saying. More dynamic play from the quarterback position. They go to JT Daniels. This is why Georgia was my preseason national championship pick, because JT Daniels is the better quarterback. Now everyone's saying they're so good they don't even need JT Daniels. Well, we're going to start to find out whether it's today, whether it's against uh, Alabama in the SEC championship game, or whether it's in the college football playoff. At some point, they're going to have to make plays with their arm through the air, and they can't just rely on running the ball 40 times a game. They can't rely on getting up 28-3 to and spending the entire second half chewing up the clock. At some point, they're going to have to move the ball through the air. So Georgia, we're confused about JT Daniels, what's his health status. And then at Florida, it's the same deal with Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen for five weeks, six weeks. Oh, you know we're going to use both quarterbacks: Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson. It's clear at this point. Like, like there's not even a debate to be had. Emory Jones, good soldier. We give him credit. He's stuck in the program. Thought he had the job two years ago. Lost the job to Kyle Trask. Still, still showed up. I think Dan Mullen feels a debt of gratitude to him for sticking around. Anthony Richardson's the better quarterback, man. It's just, you cannot argue at this point that Anthony Richardson is the better quarterback for this team and for this program. And so Dan Mullen is still adamant that he's planning on playing both. And look, that's why I can't handicap this game. Because if Dan Mullen is just pulling a fast one and he's gonna play Anthony Richardson... I think Florida can move the ball. I think Florida can keep it close. I think Florida can put up, you know, 14, 17, 21 points and cover this spread. I don't think they're beating Georgia, but I think they can keep it close. But if he's really going to switch quarterbacks back and forth and Emery Jones, and the, like it's not going to work out. And so what this game ultimately comes down to is what do you get from both quarterbacks and how limited are both quarterbacks going forward? Obviously, from the defensive side of things, the more interesting storyline, Florida's run defense or run offense, number four run offense in the country, uh, 254 yards per game. By the way, they're averaging 6.3 yards per carry, which is the number one rushing yards per carry in the country. Going up against what is unquestionably the best run defense in college football in Georgia. And so I'm just saying, like, 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 this game just comes down to the quarterback position. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know what else to tell you. I can speculate. I can do this. I can do that. But until we get clarity on is Stetson Bennett really the guy, until we get clarity on is Anthony Richardson going to be the starter, this is going to be a really tough game to handicap. What I want to do, take a very quick break. Come back. We'll talk old Miss-Auburn. We'll talk that interesting Iowa-Wisconsin line. Clemson is, again, a favorite for reasons unbeknownst to me. I will be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Let's get into this week nine slate, the rest of the week nine slate, three big games we already discussed. I do want to switch gears and talk about the rest. Let's start with Ole Miss-Auburn. Really interesting game. Ole Miss is rolling. I don't know how many of you know this. Ole Miss has a pretty clear path to the SEC championship game. They just got to win out, hope, uh, hope Alabama loses one more game. They are headed to Atlanta for the SEC championship game, which is why this is what makes this game interesting. Ole Miss is playing well. They've won three in a row since that uh, Alabama loss. But all the money's coming in on Auburn. It opened as a pick. It is now up to two and a half. Uh, Auburn a two and a half point favorite. The over-under is at 66. And many of you are probably sitting there saying, hmm, why is all the money coming in on Auburn? Well, the reason is pretty simple. Ole Miss is really banged up. And it's interesting because I looked it up. Basically, over the last three weeks, every team in the SEC has had a bye except for Ole Miss. Ole Miss had their bye all the way back in September prior to the Alabama game, which was great to prepare for Alabama. Bad now as they enter their fifth SEC game in a row in five weeks. Everybody else has a bye. Alabama, LSU this week, Georgia, Kentucky, Florida, Auburn last week. Arkansas has their – like like you go on and on down the list, everybody gets their bye except for Ole Miss, and I think it's starting to catch up with them. Here is how bad the injuries are. This was via 24-7 Sports. I'm just going to read it verbatim to show you how bad the injuries are and why this number may be going down. This is via 24 7 Sports. Starting wide receivers Braylon Sanders, shoulder, and Jonathan Mingo, foot have been missing. Tight end Chase Rogers, foot has been unavailable. Starting left guard Caleb Warren, foot missed games against Arkansas and Tennessee, but made his way back into the starting lineup just in time for another starting guard, for starting right guard, excuse me, Ben Brown, to miss his first start in 40 games against LSU, a streak that was the longest on the team. Mingo Rodgers and Brown are feared to be lost for the year. So we are talking about a starting O-lineman, a starting wide receiver, a starting tight end that all could be out for the year, and that is just a microcosm of how beat up this team is right now, and maybe no one more so than Matt Corral. What I would also tell you is, well, nobody wants anybody to get injured, that is a reality in football, and I bring it up because it does feel like, you know how I said a minute ago that there are there's nothing new you're going to learn about teams? I do still feel like there is one thing that I learned this week and that, again, I don't push picks on you, but I will say these Ole Miss overs have been coming in, the number has been coming in really high, and they haven't been even close the last couple weeks. It's a combination of Ole Miss being beat up on offense and the defense playing very well. This is how the difference between the over-under and what the game ended up being the last couple weeks. Against Tennessee two weeks ago, Rocky Top closed at 82, the number, and the number closed at 82. The game finished with 57 total points. Ole Miss wins 31-26. Last week against LSU, the number closed at 77, finished at 48. So we're talking about a difference of 29 points. And so I think if you're looking for an angle, well, I don't give out picks on this show, that would be my strong suggestion play the under because the unders have been going way under in this case also worth noting Auburn kind of a ball possession run based offense they try to take the ball out of Bo Nix's hands but the big thing if you take anything out of the conversation just know Ole Miss is really 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 banged up Auburn is coming off a bye probably about as healthy as they've been in about five or six weeks so Ole Miss Auburn was an interesting line you want another interesting line how about this Wisconsin a three and a half point favorite over at number nine, Iowa, the over-under, 36 and a half, okay? So two things obviously stand out about this game. One, Wisconsin, who we've all made fun of. We watched them against Penn State, Notre Dame, Michigan. They stink. They're a three and a half point favorite over a top 10 team in the country, which might say more about Iowa. But then two, I mean, the over-under of 36 and a half is just absolutely hysterical, but it kind of makes sense. And so the question becomes, why is Wisconsin favored? Well, first of all, they are playing better football. To their credit, if you remember last week they played Purdue, Purdue was ranked coming into that game, and Wisconsin took care of them. But what you need to know about that game, if you did not watch it, and I don't know why anyone would watch Wisconsin-Purdue unless you're an alum or fan of either of those schools, Purdue kind of played played right into Wisconsin's hands. What do we know about Wisconsin? They turned the ball over a ton. Coming into last week, they were ranked 130th nationally in turnover margin. That's because Graham Mertz, and this is no disrespect, I don't try to tear down any individual kid, Graham Mertz can't take care of the football. Graham Mertz is a kid that coming into this season had a lot of hype. Right now, 945 yards passing through eight games for Wisconsin, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. Ah, Yeah, that's not going to get the job done in major college football, let alone in the Big Ten. And so the question becomes, how how did Wisconsin beat Purdue? Well... They were basically able to do everything that they do well at a very high level, and they were able to avoid doing the things that they do poorly. What do I mean? How about this? Against Purdue, they forced five turnovers, which you know isn't going to happen against Iowa. We'll talk about that in a minute. On top of that, they they also ran for 290 yards on the ground, which is a staggering number, which will not be replicated against Iowa. And then finally, Graham Mertz threw the ball eight times. So there you go. You want to know how Wisconsin beats a top t- top 25 team in Purdue? How about forcing five turnovers? How about running for 290 yards? How about throwing the ball eight times? That's how that happens. And here's why I don't think that is replicable against Iowa. It's because have we seen Iowa? I talk about Iowa on this show all the time. Though They do two things really well. They defend the run. I don't think Wisconsin's going for two for two ninety against them. There, Iowa's a top fifteen run defense, and then also on top of that. Iowa forces more turnovers than anybody in college football. They have 16 interceptions, by far the most turnovers of anybody in college football. Now, they are down a cornerback. That is important. That means something in this game. But I can't sit here uh, and and gush over Wisconsin like some other people and say, oh, they've turned a corner. They figured it out. Have they really figured it out? Or is it just one of those situations where everything that could go right did last week against Purdue? Again, it is worth noting that if you do like uh, Iowa, their best cornerback, Riley Moss, is going to be out for this game. But I am just telling you, the blueprint that Wisconsin used to beat Purdue last week, they are not going to be able to use in this one. Let's rip through some other games. How about the game? You know, I talked about this one a lot on Monday's show, but I got to revisit it. Clemson as a nine and a half point favorite against Florida State. And and I could go on and on and throw you out all sorts of stats and numbers. Clemson can't move the football. And the thing is, is that I know we all think that at some point they're gonna figure it out. It's not gonna happen. Not this year, okay? It's it what's going on at Clemson, honestly, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is kind of a perfect confluence of events. One, they could not run the ball last year. People forget. Travis Etienne came back, and people were criticizing Clemson saying. This kid came back, and you guys can't do jack squat for this kid. You're going to hurt his draft stock. Now, it didn't end up impacting his draft stock. He got drafted in the first round. But the bottom line remains, they couldn't run the ball last year. Well, this year, they don't have Trevor Lawrence to hide things. And so you have a situation where... You don't have the elite franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence or program-changing quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. DJ Uy lagan Lalay is losing confidence every single week. I don't know if you saw the clip from Trent Dilfer, but Trent Dilfer basically crushed the Clemson coaching staff saying, this kid has gotten worse over the last two years, not better. DJ obviously has no confidence. He got benched for the other kid, Puma Chong, who's from Connecticut. And so I'm just telling you, you have that. You have the play calling from Tony Elliott. You have the fact that the offensive line can't block. And so the idea that Clemson open is an 11-point favorite. It's down to nine and a half. This thing ain't getting fixed. And on top of it, even if it could, there's other factors, as I said, a perfect storm going on. First of all, they are incredibly beat up. Clemson put out a number this week, their sports information staff. They are down 18 scholarship players from the start of fall camp. One or two transferred, one or two are suspended, and a bunch of really good players are out right now including Brian Brze, former number one overall recruited on the defensive line you just go on and on down the list and so I don't see the scenario where Clemson all of a sudden figures figures this out I don't see the scenario where all of a sudden this gets fixed on top of that I would also say it's getting to be really toxic at Clemson right now in terms of the situation between Dabo the media and the fans I don't remember if I talked about it on Monday's show, but I know I've talked about it on the Aaron Torres podcast. Dabo, every single time he takes the podium, it is a back and forth with the media. Dabo has never taken a transfer. Dabo has lost a ton of players to the transfer portal. And if you look at why this team is struggling, they don't have the depth because they've lost a million guys and are refusing them to, re- refusing to replace them with transfers. So Dabo gets into it with the media every week that wants to know why he won't recruit the transfer portal, wants to know why he won't shake up the coaching staff. The fans are kind of out on this team. This is an incredible stat. It's $18 to get into the Clemson game for $18. You can bring your son or daughter to the Clemson game if you live in Clemson, South Carolina, okay? Do you ever wanna to go to a Clemson game, now's the time. Tickets are $18 for under $100 with parking. Get two kids, husband and wife. So it is really bad. And what I would also say, you need to note, They're playing a pretty good Florida State team. Now, listen, I know we like to drag Florida State. They lost to Jacksonville State. They're so bad. They're this. They're a rapidly improving football team, okay? And I think if you look at the totality of their season, it's worth noting. Three-point loss in overtime to Notre Dame. Didn't look so bad. Three-point loss to Jacksonville State. Final play of the game. Should have won it. But final play of the game, they make one tackle. They win that game. They lose to Wake Forest. We now know is a better team. Last three games, three wins against Syracuse, North Carolina, UMass. They're rolling. It coincides with Jordan Travis, their best quarterback, coming back fully healthy from injury. They are running the ball very effectively, number 13 nationally on the ground. I don't think that they're going to have a ton of success running the ball this week, but I do think it'll be enough success to beat Clemson. And so when I look at this Clemson game, uh, you know, I'm just saying I, I, I don't tell you what to do, but I don't see this magic turnaround coming from Clemson all right uh let's wrap with a couple other ones first of all in the ACC kind of an interesting one North Carolina at Notre Dame North Carolina is coming off of a bye and why this game is interesting why this game is important North Carolina of course was a preseason top 25 team I think they were a preseason top 10 team they're currently four and three overall three and three in the ACC uh two and two in their last four lost to Georgia Tech at home lost to Florida State at home but what is interesting about this game is this, is that they, the one thing that we know that North Carolina does really well is pass the ball with Sam Howell, right? That goes without saying, Sam Howell, I don't know if he'll still be, I don't know where he is on the mock drafts now after this, the, the season that he has had, but North Carolina, we know few teams in college football throw the ball as well as North Carolina does. Why do I bring it up? Notre Dame starting safety, All-American Kyle Hamilton out for this game. The number has stayed pretty consistent, so it doesn't feel as though Vegas thinks it's a definitive upset, but the over-under is set at 62.5. The number is 3.5, and so that's just really interesting. North Carolina's strength going up against uh, a Notre Dame pass defense that is going to be without an All-American safety. On top of that, I talk all the time about the Notre Dame offense. I do think they're getting better. I do think they're improving, but is that enough to go uh, to go toe for toe if, if, uh, if, if North Carolina breaks a few big plays? It's worth noting, North Carolina does have a terrible defense, by the way. They rank 64th nationally in that category, and that number's a little bit deceptive because they've had some really good games and some really bad games. Gave up 42 to Miami. Gave up 45 to Georgia Tech, gave up 39 to Virginia. So really interesting game there. Let's start to wrap other ones. uh, Look, Kentucky, Mississippi State. This is one all week long. You guys know I don't love taking road underdogs, but uh, Kentucky is a one-point favorite at Mississippi State. It is worth noting, last year, remember, Mississippi State had that incredible opening game against LSU and then basically completely fell apart from there. Uh, yeah, that started against Arkansas in week two of the SEC season. And then in week three against SC, against Kentucky, Kentucky won in Lexington 24-2. to And so I bring that up because Mississippi State could not do very much in that game Kentucky rolls Mississippi State through six touch uh, six interceptions in that game just a staggering number so it felt as though Kentucky's defensive backs and defensive coaching staff really had a good game plan for that air raid but always love getting an SEC team at home as a slight underdog so that is the one there and the big 12 really interesting game Texas uh, Baylor Baylor is a three-point favorite, probably with pretty good reason. Both of these teams coming off a bye. Texas had two straight losses heading into that bye. Texas, of course, lost to uh, Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. From there, they also lost to Oklahoma State in the final minutes of that game. The one thing you need to know, Texas is pass, de, or run defense, excuse me, is really bad, 114th nationally in the country, Baylor the number four rushing offense in the country, and so I think Texas is going to give up a lot of points in that game, the question becomes, Are is Baylor going to be able to get enough stops against that Texas offense to do the same, over, under, and that one is 61 and a half. All right, I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, I'm going to get out of here, before I do, I want to thank you guys for the support, again, Cannot do it without you guys. Every single week, the numbers on this show continue to grow up, go up. They're growing up too, but they're mostly going up. So, thank you guys for the support. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Have the episode sent straight to your phone. You don't have to search for them, they will show up when they post live. Also, make sure to give us a quick rating and review. If you can, Go in, give us a quick five stars. Let us know you love College Football Betting with Torres. It does help us move up the iTunes charts, get more recognized, uh, and tell friends and family. If you friends, you got buddies that like to throw down a dollar or two on these games, gamble responsibly, of course. Uh, let them know about College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, but that is all for this show. I want to thank my partners, DraftKings. Again, some great deals going. Links to the DraftKings promotion are in the show description. You can look there, but thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to DraftKings. We will be back next week. With the Lucky Land slots. you can get lucky just about anywhere.